You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Hope you're doing well and you are enduring this very bizarre COVID-19 influenced time in a way that doesn't drive you crazy, basically. And this should help because I have Peter Vivcherek. He is the frontman and the lead guitarist for Poland's legendary Vader. Now, the reason for the chat with Pete is to talk up the very excellent Solitude in Madness. This is their brand new album for 2020, and lo and behold, I don't have a release date on me, but it'll be sometime soon. Of course, I get an advanced copy, and I've listened to it a few times, as you'll hear through the podcast. This is one of those very uh, engaging podcast episodes where we talk about all sorts of stuff. So, done for your entertainment during these pandemic times. Here he is, point of Vivcherek from Vader. Hello. Hey, Pete. How's things? Hey. Yeah, you're, you're surviving. Uh, I think Poland's in lockdown as well, isn't it? It's not like Sweden, is it, where people can walk wherever they want? Nah, nah, nah. We are locked down. So we locked down and uh, I'm grounded, actually. But, you know, it's... Actually, I use opportunity to stay with family, so <laughs> I was missing that a yeah, long time. Nice. Yeah, I bet, mate. Being a, being a musician who's on the road, bloody eight months out of the twelve months in the year, at least it gives you an opportunity to connect with mates and family, and probably just take some downtime yeah. and watch a bit of Netflix. <laughs> so, as you see, like even the the baddest side got the good side you know? <laughs> sometimes. Oh God, yeah. I was just I had an uh, not longer. I hope. <laughs> Well, I just just the interview. I was on an interview just before I jumped on the call now to you, and I was just saying that I think I mean we're about two weeks into it, and the kids are starting to go a bit stir crazy. We've got a five and a six year old daughters, and uh, yeah, I mean outside of just letting them watch TV, I mean what can you do? Like the park across the road from me is is shut. Like it says literally. I've never. Can you imagine? It's a for it's a close sign on a big park. That's right across the road from me where I normally play golf and the kids run around in their scooters and bikes and stuff. But, mate, it's just very unusual times we're in at the moment. But okay. essentially, it's it's necessary. Yeah, but that's a global situation. We should do, like understand it, cooperate and stay in discipline. You know, that's the only way to kill the virus. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, I've been saying the same thing, you know, so... But uh, look, let's talk about the music, Pete. And last time we had a chat was about two or three years ago now, a while ago now. Um, but... You know, you know, I'm a fan. Uh, I wouldn't expect you to remember the conversation, but I've definitely been a Vader fan for a long time, about as long as anybody really in Australia could be. Um, when I, uh, God, I can never remember the name of the, the bloody album that I had of yours. Um, Deep Profundus. There you go. That's the first one I got back in 94 and 95 when that came out. And it made a real impact on me. Uh, it was the first band really outside of the the UK uh, and the US that I really, especially from, from Eastern Bloc and Eastern Bloc country, where I really started paying attention to what was happening in other parts of Europe and South America. So it's really difficult to know where to start with you because you are 12 albums into a, a fairly unlikely career, if I could be bold enough to say that. But I could be wrong. I think you're literally the only former Eastern Bloc band to remain intact through the fall of the Iron Curtain and the democratisation of information through the internet Frankly, mate, nothing has stopped you. You've just kept on going. And this new album, I had it on, it's so good, I had it on twice last night. I was drinking my Jack Daniels and it ended and I put it on again. You know, solitude and madness. And look, really, and I'm not just saying this to blow smoke up your ass, but it's truly up there with Deep Profundus. Your, your solos are stove hot. 
on this one here, you've never sounded better. And the songwriting, you're evergreen. You are you, you between yourself, Testament and Sepultura. It's like the dawn of a new age. You know, everything is just working again. And I feel like it's the early '90s or something, or the mid '90s, just with how much energy is emanating from the work that you're doing. You know, but to cap all of that off, mate, you must feel a tremendous sense of accomplishment with how this album has turned out. You know, it's it's always pretty motivating, you know, to hear such words. So thank you for that. First. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you know, we do what we do. We just uh, keep like doing that for it's going to be four decades soon. Mm. And uh, uh, it's it's really hard, you know, to say that personal because this is actually pretty pretty standard and normal to me. I'm just a fan of the music, and uh, it's a good thing. It's just. Listening is listening. It was and still is not enough. So I turned and it's just into creativity and you know, so we started band, you know, and uh, you know, a couple of years after that. So uh, so mm-hmm. we focused more on playing, you know, and uh, then you know, like years after that, uh, I took a decision just to uh, to be a musician by a profession, you know, so. Uh, then everything started to be more serious. I mean, for playing because you know I I, I had a chance to focus hundred percent on the music only. So uh, that's why we're busy, guys. Like we were always busy, and actually that's that's a good thing. You know, it's, it's life is not maybe easy just to stay on the road all the time, stay stay uh, just away from the families. But you know. That's 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 was the choice, you know, and it's a good life. Just you know, <laughs> that's a chosen life, and uh, that's why like complaining, it's it's not a good thing. And you know, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm really far from that. So I like to you know I like to play first of all. So playing live, be on tour. So actually, that's meaning of Vader, and uh, that's that's meaning of metal, in my opinion. And you know, recording albums is just like a step, you know, just like preparing new songs for next door, you know. <laughs> so uh, for me personally, recording is fun, of course. It's just challenging in a studio. It's just this creative work, uh, just putting together all those you know ideas I have in my mind, you know, in my brain, you know collected in years and months is just spanning them you know in the studio but all in all all we create in the studio is just to prepare the songs to play them live on stage and this is actually what i love in the metal and in just being invader you know and uh, so nothing nothing changed for years and that you know and nothing gonna change <laughs> i think yeah, no, I hope not. It doesn't need to. It's it's working now better than it ever has, frankly. You know, and look, I've had to ask this question on just about every call that I've, I've made over the last week or two weeks or so. There's probably about a dozen episodes now. But, I mean, really, I mean, some of the albums that are coming out, there's, there's from you guys, Catatonia. I was talking to uh, the bassist last night from that band. The only issue that I see coming up is that uh, people might overlook this album because you can't tour behind it at the moment. And... The data that certainly we've got here in Australia is we're probably going to be locked down for up to six months. Definitely three months, but six months is a reasonable time to suggest that we'll be locked down for. And borders, I don't think, are going to be open for another 12 to 18 months at a worst-case yeah, scenario. That's why, you know, it's really hard to do any plans for the future. And, of course, we we forget about all this summer season already, but 
steel plan, you know, to start. This is just, you know, the alpha plan, let's say. Mm. So uh, just to start uh, touring with the new album already in September here in Europe. But uh, this is just in theory, you know, because nobody knows what's going to happen. You know, we, we may just hope that uh, if the people, you know, will cooperate and if the people are not going to spread the disease like further, mm. so maybe maybe somebody going to just start just maybe the life get back on trail and uh, we can start touring. You know, I'm still afraid that, you know, after the longer break, so everybody going to hit the road, that's going to be mass. You know? yeah. And and I think uh, it might not be like that. And probably the still might be under control. I mean, for crowd, you know, for next half year, that's, that's what I'm afraid of. But only alone, so we have to plan, you know, even if everything's going to be delayed. And uh, so this this all start with plans, you know, so mm-hmm. that's like all the, and all the bands. So we do plans and we just, we will just see what's going to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, we can prepare for the tourings. We can just, you know, prepare for the, for the album. This is going to be out soon. Just to stay connected online, you know, that's actually first time. First time I, li- I I really support you know a computer and this social media and internet connection because uh, uh, regularly I'm 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 huge enemy of that that stealing <laughs> life the life and staying in front of computer for hours or days months but this is a situation so it helps a lot you know this is a tool that that makes all difference and so even if we stay uh, separated isolated from each other so we can still connect it stay connected like using this tool as you know as, mm-hmm. as it is for as designed for and uh so that's a good thing you know so uh, as far as, as we can stay connected so we can still continue to life in other way you know even being a musician we can just do something at home you know and just wait for the better situation does not it's not all the way you know it's mm. uh, yeah it's a really good way of putting it and um, i think just about everybody listening or half the people listening, because I plan on releasing this as a podcast episode for my podcast series, if that's okay, but feel the same way you do prior to COVID-19 hitting about social media. I mean, Twitter is just a bloody cesspit and Facebook <laughs> isn't far from it at that time. Facebook's a lot better. Let's I'll be frank about that. Twitter is just fucking awful, you know, with what people are prepared to say to each other and hide behind pseudonyms. But I'm, I'm exactly the same as you, mate. I actually really grateful for it at the moment. Um, and the ability to reach out to people and have conversations and the like. And I've seen my podcast listens go through the roof in the last week or so, uh, like double uh, what it normally is because people have got time on their hand and they're looking for things to be basically past the time to being given that we're all sort of housebound. Uh, so you make some really profound points around that. And what I hope comes from that is that we uh, we enter into a bit of a new age because I think it's going to happen anyway. We're going to enter into a new epoch as a consequence of being locked down and COVID-19. I certainly don't feel like we're going to have, you know, EU-style no borders, which I personally think is bullshit, you know, and the sovereign sovereign countries and states are sort of, you know, they're being bullied by bigger entities like the EU and the like. I think those those things are going to now go away. And that's all tied in with, it's not too broad a jump to make this, I hope, but, but the way people talk to each other on social media. You know, you've, you've got to be polite on social media, and I've always tried to be. Um, I haven't had any Barneys with anybody except for a few Kiwi rugby fans, but they deserve it. Who cares? <laughs> but, that's, you know, that's a sport. That doesn't mean anything. But I, I hope from here 
what we're able to do is basically form a just just have a bit of a think about how we want to treat each other and speak to each other, particularly when we're hiding behind anonymous pseudonyms. That's what we do, man. <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah, it's a bad situation, but the situation. So it's not it's not going to be forever, you know. It's it's just uh, you know it's not the first time humanity deal with the pandemia, you know. It's so actually we're in a better situation because we have internet, you know. Imagine just like those people like dealing with like really huge like problems and having no phones, no no connect no connection, anything that's mm-hmm. that were really bad, you know. And but now so actually it's a really, really good situation. And the virus itself, it's 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 a little bit easier to control if you just stay separated. Because it's 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 very sneaky, you know, enemy, but as far as uh, virus is uh, separated and uh, there's no chance to spread it, you know, so it's, it, it just dies, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. that's a virus. It's very strong, but only when, uh, when, can, when can be spread, you know. That's why the isolation is so important in this, in this way, you know. So, mm-hmm. so understanding and this is priority at the moment, you know. Mm-hmm. You know how, so if you just teenage... Uh, teenage, you know, metalhead, or just just regular teenage guy. So it's really hard to stay home, you know. And uh, you know, usually, usually the the young generations they really love to stay home in a computer. But you know, it, it's always opposite way when they have to. <laughs> so mm. it's always working opposite way, and they everybody just want to get out, you know. Just uh, I know because like I was teenage and everybody was so and. Uh, so this is how it is, you know. So the age has mm. rules, and you know, we we just like being older. So we should just have to explain how important it it is just to stay disciplined. You know, it's hard for for some people, but it's really, really the only way. You know. Yeah, it's very strange, isn't it? At the moment, I, the um, the lockdown notwithstanding, it feels a bit like it did when we were growing up in the 80s and early 90s, meaning I'm seeing far more kids out on the road sort of doing things, um, meaning play, riding on their bikes and doing things like that, things that I haven't seen, honestly, in 20, 25 years or so. And um, I think what that is is because people are locked up, they're trying to entertain themselves and they're getting back to sort of going back outside again, keeping the social distance stuff in mind, definitely. But, yeah, there's that, there's that balance that you're talking about and that discipline. I think because even for these 14 and 15-year-olds that are used to spending almost every waking hour outside of going to school on bloody social media, even for them, this is just a little <laughs> bit too much for them to be locked down into that. Uh, yeah. It's just all about discipline. If you're younger, you, you hate discipline. So nobody want to fall, you know. Just you got the blood, you're just boiling, and you want to just go in action, you know. Like, <laughs> anyways. <laughs> That's regular. So that's that's why you know the older should take command and just explain, not to beat everybody just for just for like somebody try to get out because it's that's pretty natural, you know. Mm, yeah. And of course, cities it's a way worse situation because it's more crowded. You know, it's just really hard. Like I live separated actually for more than fifteen years. I live in the woods, you know, and uh, it's just like in a distance from even the closest village. Yep. So to me, the situation is not really that bad, that different, you know. It's just uh, the only the only difference is like uh, we just go and shopping like just once like once one every once two weeks or yeah. like one week just just to, to to get something to survive and that's it. But the rest is the same. But 
but you know those those big cities, man, that's that's bad. You know, that's it's, it's really much worse to stay isolated in such places like you you see that. You know, it's just mm. it's different. Yeah, big cities. There's two places I didn't realize I wouldn't want to be at the moment. I'm, I don't live in a big city either. I live in a semi. It's suburbia where I'm at, but it's very regional, northern Gold Coast. But I wouldn't want to be in a big city like Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney or Melbourne, or on a bloody cruise ship for that matter, because those things are <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> They're just same, floating same petri here. dishes. Same oh. here. Now, I was, I was born in a city, not, I mean, not that big like Melbourne or Sydney, but still. Mm. Uh, you know, I was living in a city for like more than 30 years, and, uh, you know, it's, it's all right, but since, since I found this place, you know, uh, you know, in the nature, you know, so I'm, I, I'm not able to get back to cities, you know, I just, I feel so much better in here, you know, I know it's in the distance, so it, you know, it, it just force you to, you know, to travel if you need something, but actually, you know, for the guy like me, when I'm just like almost the whole, all my life is just travel, <laughs> being mm. on tour, at times, so yeah. just staying home, it's just something just don't get mad, you know, totally, so I can just relax, just calm down, slow down, well, man, that that's all about that. It. It's just like uh, maybe this opportunity now for everybody, global, you know. So it's give a chance to slow down life, you know, because like I got feeling that so we just everything is going too fast, too quick, you know, and uh, we're losing our life. So now it's time just to stay just home and to think about that just a little bit, you know, and slow down and everything. So it helps, really. And uh you know, it's it's just using opportunity because anyway, we we have to stay isolated. So it's about a time just to think about everything, to think about ourselves, life, and you know, it's not bad. You know, mm. sometimes to slow down. Maybe not in music, but just in life. <laughs> <laughs> I agree hundred percent with what you're saying. Hey, you look, the other thing too is, and I, and I hope you don't mind me asking this question, but I really admire Poland for different reasons, and and Pol Polish people for another reason, and because I don't think critics realise. That, that your country has really only had contiguous boundaries since 1990. The way it is now, it's been like that since only about 1990. And there wasn't even a, a sovereign Polish state that existed between 1795 and 1918. It was that long. You know, you were you were basically annexed by Russia and other other powers. And um, But look, lately I've noticed, a bit like here in Australia, citizens and, and the government have rightly taken the view that Poland is for Polish people. And that the EU and the globalists, uh, with their attempts to annul sovereign borders and homogenous European societies, can go and get fucked. But look, I realise you're a musician, but you're a smart guy. You've toured the world. You've seen a lot of things. And you're not a spokesperson for anybody else except for yourself as a Pole. But what's your take on things, given that Poland, like the Czech Republic and Hungary, has decided to plot their own course into matters like immigration and refugees and that sort of thing, rather than be bullied by the EU? You know, I'm... Uh... I always like kept away from the politic, you know, but, you know, Polish government, it's a really problem today. So actually Poland and the Polish citizens are totally split now, you know, and this is absolutely crazy because like, it looks like we just cannot as a Polish, like we cannot deal with a real freedom. You know, mm. we have like government chosen by some guys that think that we supposed to be a proud nation, like kind of, I don't know, I don't understand this, you know. It's nothing in just to be proud of the nation and, you know, citizenship, but it doesn't mean we should, we should do like deal, like, like uh, act 
like uh, like Nazis, you know, and, and it's not that time, you know, actually, there's no border anymore, like the, the cultures are mixing together. And of course, and, uh, you know, every sword got like, you know, two blades now, if we say so, and uh, mm. we cannot just think, uh, you know, with one zeros, you know, kind of style, you know, it's not just black and white. And uh, I sometimes got the feeling that in Poland, the people really into that kind of thinking. So they into or against, there's nothing in between. And that's a problem. You know? And really, okay. seriously, that's, yeah. that's, that's one of those reasons why I hate politics, you know. And, you know, this is just a game and uh, it's a dirty game just to get more, you know, votes and people just to and get more money and more control. That's it, you know. And, mm. you know, talking about like they want to good for people, you know, that's bullshit, you know, and it's just, it's always like that. It's always like that. People are changing, like situation changing around, but the greed is the same, you know, and I never, I never understood that. I will never understand it, you know. Hmm. And uh, immigration, of course, it's, it's, uh, you know, the Polish people in the past, in the history, they were immigrants so often, you know, half America was built also by Polish people that yeah. had to Poland because of restrictions you know and the problems so it's really like sad you know to to see the situation that like Poland cannot give hand you know and to somebody who need that help but the other problem is the mass of that you know and sometimes from the other side trying to be like a guy from the other side like it, it looks like just for some people escaping from like Syria later it's just easier to go to the place where they're gonna be they're gonna get like free job food and everything that's it yeah, 100%, instead, yeah. instead fighting for their own land you know it's just sometimes you have to fight for your rights fight for your land not just to run away you know it's just not that good you know hmm. if, if in poland nobody would fight you know that poland would not be existing anymore everybody would escape and that'd be it you know probably partially it would be german partially russian or whatever but it's it's how it is. So no, it's it's nothing just uh, black or white. You know, we just we we should to feel the balance, and it's all about brain we have. You know, it's just we should to use it sometimes, use a heart and brain, not just like to be like a robot. And don't to follow just don't to you know act like by the book or some something like that. It doesn't make sense. What I mean, just maybe hard to explain me, especially in English. But and uh, but. You know what I feel. It's just uh, we should to just act like humans, you know, to help somebody needs, but just don't don't just to make somebody's life easy just to make it easy. You know, it's just we should to help to make somebody, you know, act to make life easy. If you know what I mean, hmm. that's always easy. You know. Yeah, you, like, you raise some really good points there. Well, and, it, sorry, you it's, it's 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 good explanation. Like. Uh, it's it's always better to to teach somebody how to swim that, than to give them uh, you know this uh, thing to help to help, you know to just uh, uh, stay on the surface you know <laughs> it's just yeah. yeah I think I think you raised some good points the other thing I'll say about Polish people though is that look Polish majority of Poles who immigrated to Australia and to the US did so when there was no welfare on offer. 
So there wasn't that, there was a promise of a better life, but you had to work hard for it. So the Polish in Australia, for example, and I think the US too, are known for being very hard workers, historically, uh, especially when they were coming into Australia in the 50s and 60s. They were doing the jobs that people couldn't and wouldn't do, especially coming out of, uh, of course, you know, Europe was smashed apart after World War II, and Polish people worked their asses off in, in all of the countries that they went to. And I think this is the issue politically that a lot of people have got, is that I don't think anybody sane doesn't want to help somebody out if they're in a state of need and distress. But it's that being taken advantage of feeling that I think is happening in country, even here in Australia, definitely Germany, absolutely France, and in the UK as well, certainly Sweden too, um, that is driving this hyper-nationalism, if you like, which is a reaction to this sort of stuff. And this well, is where... Actually, actually yeah. it, it is a feeling in globally. So you can feel that nationalism rising up now. Hmm. and uh, no, But this is not maybe... This is more like... It became just trendy, and you know, and uh, after that many years in Europe, uh, probably the same in Australia and US, uh, there is no really any, you know, thread, you know, in those countries anymore. And you know, after that many years, when we have like a next generation that just get n nothing, just they can't feel any danger, you know, hmm. they start think in like dangerous way, you know, again because for some people it's just like uh, just something different you know hmm. and uh, you know it, humanity never takes lesson you know, from the history never and uh, just uh, this goes like, like 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 a circle you know and uh, if there is too long time and silence like no thread or nothing no issue the real issues in the countries the people start to create them you know in their own you know and we are in a situation at the moment so i got the feeling that this is all about that and you know the immigrants it's just a reason one of those reasons you know like like you know in like in 30s when germany got the problem economical problem that was like a, the re, just that so some some people they used the situation just to rise up you know and mm. uh, it was just not the one guy like usually like everybody hates hates hitler because he it's not the one guy who made it that's the whole situation made it and not the situation in germany the whole world, I think. So it's always like that. You know, if there is a situation and people just losing control on that, that, you know, the water have to go somewhere. And, you know, mm. then you lose control. And they know in the situation. So maybe the virus, actually, it's, it's uh, not, of course, it's, it's never a good thing. But in that political situation where everything started to be really shitty, you know, politically. Mm -hmm. So the virus, look at that. Virus just, everything come down now, politically. Everybody yeah. just focusing on a, on a bigger problem, which is virus, you know, because nobody, you know, this is the enemy. You just don't, it doesn't give a fuck about political or which side you are at or whatever. Mm. So that's why, like, uh, at least, like, all these, you know, people who try to start any problem, Whatever call you that, you know, mm -hmm. is stop doing it, you know. And, uh, you know, there is even, ah, whatever. <laughs> but no, uh, you're making good points, yeah. I think the, the only thing I'll say to, to, to or the only thing I'll add, sorry, to what you said there is that, look, the, the middle class, meaning not the uber rich, not the people who are on welfare, but the mum and dads who have two and three kids that are working their asses off, that are paying off a car and a half, you know, two cars, sending their kids through, not through a private school, but to a Christian school, this sort of thing. They're the ones that bear the brunt of a lot of the cost of a lot of this migration and a lot of the decisions that the EU was making. And that's, you saw the yellow vest movement 
Um, I mean, this is the problem. France, is, France hasn't returned to a budget surplus since... I, I read a statistic the other day since the late 70s. So effectively, they're almost bankrupt as a nation. I mean, of course they're not because they've got a lot of product that they produce and a lot of people want to visit France and the like. But the problem is you can be altruistic and you can extend the hand of friendship and welcome to people from other parts of the world. But when they come in and then when they, they disrespect the values of that country and by extension, the people that are actually paying the money into the tax system that gives them their welfare, that's where people get the shit. So I don't think it's a racial thing. I'll actually categorically say I don't think it's a racial thing whatsoever. It's just that when people have their their daily life disrupted to the extent like the French people did where they adapt, adopt the Yellow Vest movement, they say to the government, fuck off. Stop taking money out of my pocket just so you can fund your bullshit policies. And, and you know, we, France has got all sorts of issues. We know that. There are no go zones in in. Paris, as there but, are no go zones in Sweden and Stockholm. Yeah. No, I remember I was in Paris like in the, 90, uh, the late 90s, you know, and uh, now it's a huge difference. In the same place, is just ruined, you know. Mm. And this is all about that, you know. It's this a problem is they they not controlling everything like that. There's, you know, it's it's not good just to take people in and then let them just be because this never works like that, you know. Mm. If you decide to take immigrants, especially in that masses, you know, you should be ready just to give them a job or just give them a place, you know. And first of all, it's the worst thing and the worst problem and the biggest mistake is just to let them just gather in one place, you know, because this always is a source of a problem, you know. Yeah. Look, America, of course, in America, there, are, there are still are some places, you know, uh, with like... Uh, with like uh, uh, focus on in nations, like uh, like in Chicago, there's like one of the biggest Polish uh, society outside oh, yeah. of Poland. You know what I mean, but yeah. even even this is just fading away, and uh, that that's the point. You know, if you if you uh, let the people live among the others, so they will adopt. But if you let them just gather to, together in one place, they will start just to think that they taking control about everything. Hmm. It's the same problem in France. It's the same problem in Sweden. You know, imagine like, there's like the people coming uh, to Sweden. Sweden helped them. And now they said like, fuck off to like Swedish police. They That's can't right. because yeah. they want to they wanna keep the religion. They want to keep the, the language and everything. What the hell? They fucking guests, you know, somebody helped them, you know, and that's the other side. They can't understand and can't fucking respect the help. And everything starts with that. Then from the other side, the people start to afraid, you know, because this is like a danger, you know, and then the nationalism started to rise because then the people try to hate to beat them, you know, because they, they scared, you know, that's natural human feeling. Mm. And the problem is the politics should the thing before they do something, you know, and that's a problem. It's easy to say, like, we taking immigrants, a million immigrants, to have more votes for them people who just not against it. Absolutely, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but what next? What next? Actually, instead of helping, they they starting the war, you know, inside their own country. And that's a problem, you know. If they would leave those people, leave, like, one, two families and put them in some other place, people would love them, would help them, and they would just adopt and never more problems. You know, Australia, you know that Australia or America, they live like that for century, you know. Mm. And there's, that's why there's no wars be between like, you know, races or something. Maybe some local things, but this is just, you know, like everywhere, like the local is some 
people that like to beat, you know. Yeah, provincial they, they, shit. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking not about that. I'm talking not talking about that small things. I'm talking about global problems, you know, and how to you know solve that. Yeah. Really? I, don't, I don't know whether we can. That's the issue, mate. Because I mean, we've had we've had this globalist view of multiculturalism now since the mid seventies or so, and uh, Gough Whitlam brought it in here in Australia. So you've got sort of up to five generations now, um, because in some communities they they have children a lot younger than other communities, and they have a lot of kids, and they're all really surviving through welfare. Really, I mean, that's the only way that you can subsidise. You know, we should understand the culture, the culture, culture like a Middle East, you know, something they, mm. you know, to have, they, they got like many wives, they need to, have, they got kids, you know, and if, if there is a situation like in the middle of Europe, when, uh, you know, uh, the kids not like, there's not that many kids and actually the government are trying to just to uh, push people to have more kids, you know, and, uh, and they pay for that, like social. So imagine that if somebody comes with many wives and like like ten or fifteen kids, they don't need to do anything because they just they just fed by government. That's correct. And yeah, yeah. It's, it's not really fair because this should be controlled. You know, it's that's the easiest way. But you know, then everything leads to another problem. You know, and I don't know, and this. This is just crazy. You know? Well, it got and, out of uh, it got out of balance. So that's what happened with Brexit because that was about balance, nationalism. Balance, it's all about it. The balance, like yin yang. We know that, like thousands ago, was that people understood this, how important balance is. But why not today? We have internet. We have just everything. We have we can control nuclear power, but we don't understand what balance is. You know, mm. in our life. So how how at all to talk about anything if you don't understand what balance means? You know, that's all about it. Mm. You, you mentioned something earlier, and I wholeheartedly agree, which is that we don't learn from the past. We seem to be doomed to repeat it. Now, you've been, as I said, you've been around the world a lot, mate. So you've interacted with a lot of different people from a lot of different countries and a lot of different social stratas as well. So, do you have that, a take on what why we do? That's why I totally understand. I understand it, and that's why I'm trying, you know, to talk if I have opportunity. You know, we're not dealing with a theme with politic in the theater, in in in, the, in 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 lyrics or something. But always, I'm trying to smuggle my thoughts and my feelings, emotions about that uh, in between the lines. Like, create some stories, and the stories God like tells about that about it. Just. Of course, because it's not set straight, so the interpretation might be vary, you know. But still is, you know. Mm. I'm still, you know, you know. Maybe that's why the new Vader album is so fast and angry because you know my anger in in this world that's supposed to be so much easy to live. I don't understand how crazy it is around, and I don't understand people. You know, that's why I still have so much to scream about. You know, <laughs> the anger inside is, you know, well. trust me. Yeah. It's metal is all about anger, you know. It's you, you can't be just good living guy, you know, just giving like good metal music because me, metal is about anger, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, on that basis, and, I'm glad that I'm glad there's plenty of fodder out there for you for you to keep on doing what you're doing. So it's really, it's really, it's really bad if you feel if you feel like really just isolated from everybody. Because like sometimes you want to be isolated, you just don't understand what's going on around you. Hmm. You think you understand the world because you know all these natural rules are pretty easy, you know, to understand. And 
you just get out, you, you go to a city, and you see something you can't understand, you know, and it's, you know, that's why the title is connected with that feeling, you know, and uh, old new album is. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. What are, what are the, just talking about the album again, because the production sounds a lot like Eric Rutan had something to do with it. Now, I don't have a bio associated with it, but was it Eric that did the production, or who did you work with on that front? No, uh, Eric Rutan actually was an option to me, and uh, I started to talk uh, with him uh yet very very uh, early actually but hmm. then and we were about to have agreement and i was about just to pack my shit and just fly to florida but then uh, that problem happened with pat you know mm-hmm. and uh, uh, because like uh, yeah. eric is a huge fan of cannibal corpse guys so he just uh, it was a must you know he wanted just to help them uh, to replace, you know, for that bad moment, you know, to to just to play guitar like instead of Pat, and uh, they they had just some very serious important tours coming up in yeah, those times. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and he said that he very interested, but we, we had to delay that for for like late uh, summer or something. I was like out of question to me. It was just way too late, you know. The album was already delayed, so I, I just needed just to start to think about like entering the studio as soon as possible. So finally, uh, uh, we found the option. And, uh, um, uh, I talked to James. He, he just proposed like Grindstone. So I started to talk to Scott and the Grindstone, and we just decided to go there and to record. Like one of the reasons was James. Actually, he was. He used to work uh, in that studio and with Scott before, with his uh, band, uh, Divine Chaos. So uh, that means uh, he was feeling much better. So you know that stress in your place, you know. And okay. you, know, yep. how, you know how important drums is. Like we oh, start with that. Yeah. If the backbone is done good, then everything else is just, you know, a matter of time. You know, it's like the good drumming. Uh, just influence enough, and so the rest uh, is just adding. If I get yeah. Hey, let me Next, ask I, you. Let me ask you this, because the sound that you guys pulled on this album here is a sound that I think Morbid Angel should have pulled on uh, Kingdoms of Disdain, an album that I felt really let down by, to be honest with you. Uh, I thought the songs were there, but the sound was just terrible. And I've spoken to Steve Tucker about it, so he knows what my feelings are uh, on it. And I, I still think the songs are there, and I could hear Steve. Probably for the first uh, time ever. But did you hear that album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I was just looking at you know, Morbid. I love Morbid Angel. You know, mm, and likewise, uh, yeah. the first first four albums is it's a classic to me, and it will stay classic forever. You know, I just don't really understand. I, I was trying to understand why, and because Trey is very very challenging person you know he's yeah, really like yeah. he likes just to go somewhere to progress just to discover some lands and he doesn't really care about like what people think and just to me being a fan like that chance you know like the seven string guitar like tuning down to like deep you can't just you know i lost control just to recognize the riffs at all and just uh, but you know, I'm I'm old school guy, so I I, I might not understand this. You know, the, this this very deep, you know, tuning, tuned guitar, and you know, this kind of style. I don't really like that that much. Mm. But you know, I after uh, that, you know, after uh, Dave came back for a moment, uh, 
mm-hmm. and they released the Nevermore, you know, song in a single. I was so filled with hope, you know, that sounded like Morbid Angel, you know. Mm-hmm. And then came, you know, that I album, and it's just <laughs> Nevermore was actually probably the only the only song I really accepted, I really loved, you know. Sure. But yeah. the rest, I just could not understand why, you know. It's you no, know, it's. That's why I, I don't like to say about sound. Uh, this is just a matter of opinion, you know. It's mm-hmm. subjective. And I'm, I, I never lost my respect to Morbid Angel for what they did because they did a lot, you know. And uh, they still like absolutely great musicians, talented musicians. Just they choose the, the way I don't understand, you know. And that's, that's the only problem, you know. And uh, so I, I just not, I'm not argue with, like morbid answer today because this is just something different you know i just it's, it's not something i i follow with my taste of music and i still huge feel huge respect to them but musically it's just some some way i i'm not gonna follow that mm. Yeah, uh, sorry, my cat has just jumped up on this table here. I don't know what she's doing, so I'm just going to get it down before she decides to pull us out and unplug us. <laughs> you know, a cat's you have a cat. Yeah, I've got a, my daughter's got a cat called Snowflake, and uh, it All likes right. hanging around with me late at night for some reason. You know, when I say late at night, when the kids have gone to bed, as it sounds like they have, um, she comes into me. <laughs> we have we have a ragdoll cattery, so we have like thirty of them or more, like just like walking oh around. God. Yes, but I know how sneaky they are. <laughs> and then it's just my room is probably the only room which is locked down for them because then I <laughs> lose everything right here. This but one is rest- too, but she gets in. She opens the door. She's they're so smart, cats and cunning, aren't they? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah but you know, we uh, I love cats, and if if they live with humans, you know, they they understand humans, and they you know if you run cattery, so. You 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 know you raise the cats just to sell them for some, to give them for somebody sell is not good and I hate that word but you know you give them for somebody and you know they should love the other place just and at, at once you know so hmm. uh, and that's why if if you some people they they keep the cats away they just they just care about money that's it but. So we care about cats. They no, good on you, live, mate. Yeah, you got a heart. They, they they're so great and beautiful, you know, and uh, uh, so nice to humans if they can live together, you know. Mm. And of course, you can recognize different in characters. They like humans, you know. They cats, but they are different, you know. <laughs> and it's, it's really really lovely like, to to watch that, you know, watch the cats growing up, you know, how they change, you know, and it's very. It's, I love that, you know. I was always in the biology you know into nature and mm-hmm. and i'm so happy that i found you know the, i found a girl that's absolutely so into that so my kids also you know so uh, actually the cattery is run by my wife and my, my right. daughter so they i'm just a helper here. <laughs> i'm just <laughs> a supporter and helper you know. You supply supply the tunes. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I look. I we've got a dog already. We've got an English bull terrier who's getting into the last phase of his life, unfortunately. But he's been a very loyal companion through the years. And my daughter really wanted a cat, so we thought we'd go there. But you know what, little girls are like. If you've got daughters, mate, they want hamsters and ponies and all sorts of animals. But guess what? In my kid's case, they're not prepared to do a lot of the you know the upkeep, meaning the feeding and walking and all that sort of stuff. So we've got to do it all. Yeah. 
it's yeah. just our kids are mate you know but I just you said something really profound about Trey uh, a moment ago because I've actually a year ago or so I reached out to his mother and she appeared on the podcast episode so I've actually spoken to Trey's mum who's a lovely lady beautiful lady yes. just a kind soul and um, what you said about Trey marries up with some of the things that she said about him is that you mentioned that he likes discovering new land. He likes doing new things. He doesn't really repeat himself, and that's so true. And the other bloke who I spoke to has spent a lot of time with him, certainly back in those days, is Mike Browning from Nocturnus. I spoke to him just a couple of days ago, and he gave me a lot more insight too on uh, on Trey and his development as a musician. And all of it really only adds to my view that he's probably the most, uh, I, I don't know, there's no such thing as best in that category, but... I think music in general would sound very different if Trey wasn't around. Death metal, heavy metal in, gen in general would not sound the way it does if he hadn't been around. You know, he's he's one of those guitarists that like challenge so much that they they influence like the generations like with his play. Hmm. And the same here, you know, I was I started my my education as a I was not yet playing. So uh, actually, my education as a guitarist I started with Judas Priest with KK and and, and Glenn, you know, playing. Mm -hmm. And actually, probably that's why I love, you know, V-Shape's guitar and I love that tremolo, you know, system and noises leads, you know, so much since the very beginning. And, uh, but then that was natural progress, you know, Slayer, which was like actually like the more extreme version of Priest, you know, uh, with some, you know, added, you know, uh, feelings from punk rock, like, you know, fast music. And Morbid Angel was like a next step with that. But, you know, actually, even if Trey, he started with absolutely different guitar because actually his hero is uh, Eddie Van Halen, you know. So it's different yeah. technique and feel it. But but he's, you know, I love his play with maybe that's because I'm so much into this noisy, this kind of leads, you know, uh, tremolo. And uh, his play is, was so mad, you know, as I taught, was a mad god, you know. And Sumerian magic, mm -hmm. so it's absolutely proper, you know, name for him, nickname for him, because <laughs> you know, he's, he's when he was playing love, you know, sometimes he was just pull off the, you know, the bridge from the guitar. He was so it's so emotional, and I love that, you know, I love that, you know, so much, you know, and uh, you know, I, I, I never was that much into that, you know, shredders like like Malmsteen with all these melodies, like, you know, mm -hmm. this kind of stuff, you know, I, I tried, I still like kind of influence because like, I love to get a little bit of like different technique, you know, in my play. And, uh, but I always loved more this emotional, you know, play, even if that it's more, uh, uh, not like learned kind of uh, game that more like, improvisation like on stage you know mm -hmm. but it's, you know i love music because this is so emotional and especially in metal and uh, that's why this is closer to my heart than you know uh like practicing for hours just to play like some really hard to play the eddie van halen kind of like harmonies and shit you know yeah, yeah. and uh you know i i don't want to just know everything you know, it's just, that's why I focus on one thing. Like, I think I, I follow that rule in my whole life. You know, I just, I don't want to be Alpha Omega and everything. I follow what I enjoy, you know, and in my profession and in my hobbiness, everything, you know. Just, it's so much better, you know, because it just, it's like a fire for your passion. And passion 
it's all we have. It's a good, you know, in our yeah, life. It's so and true. Yeah. It's just like the engine which brings on the going on in a life with a smile on face. And uh, even if there is a problem, if you got passion, the passion will always help you, you know. In music, not music, whatever you got, but if you're passionate, you always feel better even if if the situation around is really bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm so glad you said something uh, about KK because I've always considered you you the death metal KK in that I've played some of your riffs before as I've played KK's riffs. And, mate, believe me, the, the way you've got a, you know, the bar chord structure, it's very similar. It's very similar. And KK, of course, not a lot of people realise he wrote a lot of those classic songs. It wasn't Glenn, it was KK coming up with the riffs. And to me, you, you are that. You're the death metal KK and that your strength is writing these inimitable riffs and they they were all across <laughs> deep profundus and of course they're here on solitude of madness I, you know it makes little sense in, in your words because actually spider is more like glam if we like if if i follow him like as a as mm. a as a musician and his style of playing and everything so it makes sense <laughs> so i'm gonna say that we kind of like a modern judas priest right but just yeah, more you're not far from it, mate. Yeah, you're yeah, not far from it at all. But what about the... It's, you go, it's a pleasure, it'd be an honour, you know, to be just a follower in this way, you know, just to be more extreme version of that band. Because it's, I'm still a fan, you know. It took years since I uh, I was watching, you know, KK on a poster on my wall when I was a teenage guy. Hmm. And until I got a chance to meet him, shake his hand, you know, and just to give all my love for what he did for me yeah. <laughs> with the music and which is just personality. And actually, it was last year when I was just in the Birmingham on that show uh, with uh, uh, with Ripper, uh, with oh, uh, yeah, Alice. And that was a killer show. And I so, I'm so happy that I've been there. Uh, as a VIP, even so, I I could nice. just talk it, just like it's absolutely. It was brilliant. <laughs> show, and I'm so glad that they're gonna continue that because this was really, really, really like like on old days. Like I missed all those decades when priests were promoting uh, the like um, you know the most known like legendary albums because I was living in Poland. There was no chance like to see them, mm. but now actually I got that feel when I was in the Birmingham. It's, it it was just when. When probably like in those days when Priest was playing or promoting the Killing Machine, you know those albums before they became so huge, you know, yeah. uh, I was absolutely great. I was absolutely great, you know, and it's really hard to find work how 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 I enjoy that, you know, on that night. I can tell. Yeah, I I just love that he's he's got a band out now called Steel Mill KK Steel Mill. I think he's calling it. And yeah, yeah. he's got half of the members, I think. So he's got Les Binks, who used to be in the, you know, the the pre big Juice Priest. That was crazy because he, I, I got that, I got that uh, unleashed uh, in the East album. It's what one of my absolutely favorite album all, all times. You know, actually everything started with that one. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, I had all autographs, but I said I probably never gonna have Les Binks. You know, he was he, he was playing on that show. You know, <laughs> and Ram, this is just wow. I got just this album. I got signed by everyone. You know, that's <laughs> it's just maybe symbolic meaning to me, but still means a lot. You know, mm. and Les Binksy, man, he's like age guy, but he was drumming so good, and just you could just feel he enjoyed that. You know, so much. You know, and uh, 
that was really, really, that's always very motivating to me when I see the bands like the legendary bands coming back, you know, on stage and playing with so just joy all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. The same feeling that I met Uriah Heep for the first time. I, after that many years, I got a chance to meet him, to see them. I, I could not believe my eyes and my ears. <laughs> like, this band is so great, you know, on stage. Absolutely, it was absolutely astonishing to me that night, you know, really. Uriah Heep used to have um, Lee Kerslake as a drummer. And I think the album, is it Abominigog? Sorry, I think I'm getting it wrong, but I think it's... Abominigog, exactly. The yeah. Red one is, yeah, with the, with the creature. Yeah, the devil on the front. Yeah, I, I remember um, being fascinated by that as a kid because I thought it was a really heavy, heavy... It's not, of course, it's more like a rock album, but I thought it would sound like Venom. It reminded me of Venom's black metal, the album cover. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, right, you know, yeah, great band. But you know, I I missed Uriah Heep really because like when I started with Black Sabbath, you know, Uriah Heep was a, a bit too melodic to me, you know, and they they were like following more Agreed. something yeah. like Hippie Day, especially those days, you know. I just missed them, and for the next decades, I just forgot them. I, I of course I I respect all names like the purple, you know, like Uriah Heep, like still uh, sometimes I played song or something just you know to bring back you know the old icons to just to bring back old music and uh, after all those years like I was in Wroclaw in the city and the Uriah Heep was playing us like I, I, I need to go there like, to check the band after those years and then I was shocked trust me it was just the power to play with and the joy you know and after that I, I could just uh, meet them and these guys you know they they are legends you know actually the same feeling you mentioned Venom I was the same feeling we were touring together with Venom Inc and uh, when I got the chance yeah. to Jeff or, or, or uh, you know, to, to Mantis or yeah, to Jeff, Ab- yeah. Ab- I've spoken to him before. I no, could no, no, not no. believe this is, this is the band that changed totally, you know. They, they inspired Slayer, they inspired Metallica and so many more. And they guys are so just like that. It's like no any rockstar shit. Like you could talk to them and they could just feel the passion they play with. It's absolutely great, you know. And the uh, same with Uriah, you know. It's absolutely great feeling with you when you got a chance to meet people who created the scene, created the music, you know, inspired like millions. And they still just like us without like bullshit, you know, acting like. Mm. And you know, like, uh, why I'm mentioning that because, like, from the opposite way, I met young guys, young bands that just get success. You know, and sometimes they behave absolutely. N- I I don't understand that. You know, mm. they big rockers than you know everybody else together. You know, and I don't get it. I, I know never, exactly I, what you're saying. I just literally had this conversation an, an hour ago with a local artist because I don't do a lot of local band interviews because they come across quite rude in their emails and the way they want to be interviewed. Whereas when I'm talking to someone like yourself, you're a great example, and you mentioned Mantis. Oh, I know him as Jeff Dunn, as you do too. I mean, the stage name is else aside, but Jeff's a guy that he was the first bloke whose guitar lines I learned how to play because I could play it. And, you know, and to actually talk to the guy who my very, you know, my 15 and 16-year-old hands were playing his riffs trying to figure them out and then to have a chat to him and for him to be as cool as what he was. I know exactly what you're saying. And, and Tony Dolan, Demolition Man as well. Um, just awesome, awesome guys. And I was talking to, you know, Dan Beeler from Exciter. Have, have you toured with or have you done anything with Exciter before? I wish I could. 
Maybe a day will come. <laughs> it's really hard to say anything about it coming down. <laughs> but, but, but same deal, brother. You know, like you talk to these established guys, like people don't realise Exciter came out before Metallica released Kill 'Em All. You know, that album was released a full six months before Kill 'Em All came out. They were first. Yeah, you know, yeah, and yeah. people don't realise that. This little band from Canada with a, dr- a singing drummer. And, I mean... It's but- the same. It's the same. It's a razor. You know, it's ex- uh, Exciter, Razor, and all those yeah. bands were just were like at the beginning, you know. So, like, it's, it's absolutely you no. Know, and- but the point is, there's no big head with these guys. You talk to them, and they're so humble, and there's so much humility. Uh, as I say, it's like talking to you, man. It's just people who have a right to be arrogant aren't, yet bands who've done fuck all, to be honest with you. The impression that I get is like that it's like a, a privilege for me to be talking to them or something as an interviewer at times. Not, not, it's rare. I've got to say it's rare. I'm not talking in general here. I'm talking about the rare occasions. But when it does happen, it's always from a local band. It's never from a big international touring band like you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't get it. But I, it I, I try. I, I, of course, if I really enjoy music, actually, uh, personality, you know, personalities, you know. Uh, do not really matter, but you know, you know how it is. If you, if you got a chance to opportunity to meet somebody uh, whose music you love, and you see that he's so good person, so mm-hmm. you love that even more, you know. And if you see that somebody acts like an asshole, this it doesn't mean like I'm gonna just throw away all my albums like some people do. Mm-hmm. I don't understand. I still, I still, I respect people for what they did for the music and what music they created but still there is something you know uh, that's you know what i mean it's it's something which is not really nice and uh so that's why i'm so glad that the people i respect you know for the music they created they really really good people you know they they great musicians by great people too that's always great connectivity you know it's just these two things it's really interesting, though, because they say don't meet your idols. And I've met just about everybody I've ever wanted to meet, and they've exceeded my expectations. You know what I'm saying? Like meeting musicians that have been there, that have done it, that have been an inspiration to tens of millions, sometimes hundreds of millions in terms of Eddie Van Halen's case. I haven't spoken to Van Halen before, but I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to speak to Mick Jagger, who I haven't heard a bad word about from an interview perspective subject. He's always been very congenial and civil. And, yeah, it's just, it's, uh, they say never meet your idols. Well, balls to that. As I say, I've done over 500 interviews and everybody I've spoken to that's of a relative level of fame has been so cool to me. Oh, you know what? It's probably, that's why I, I, I'm trying to, you know, to stay away from, from that, you know, uh, huge, like, starship moments, you know, and, uh, I of course I never was put in that situation, but I I can just imagine how hard it is for people. You mentioned the Mick Jagger, like imagine like the man who was just playing the music like yet you know sixties. You know mm-hmm. they were always huge, and how many millions of people they 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 recognizable, so they can't even walk to. This to, to to do shoppings, you know, because they probably they they couldn't yeah, just yeah, like, yeah, it's horrible you know, to think about it. Yeah. It's a, that's actually the problem of being really famous, you know, and uh, and uh, of course everybody want to be famous, you know, and because oh that's nice to just be, but actually because I I I I know that price you have to pay for that, you know, 
I really like to be not, I really like to stay in the shade, you know, and just to inspire with the music, just to go and talk and play. And, the, you know, of course, with music Vader plays, there's not a chance just to be that famous, you know. But uh, this is this is the burden, you know, actually. If you, mm. if you, if you recognizable, if your face is just everywhere, you know. And uh, I don't know if, if if I could do that, you know, that way. I, I I absolutely respect my my privacy, and I cannot imagine, for example, somebody just trying to take a picture of me just uh, shaving my balls or something like that. You know, just <laughs> you know what I mean. It's just like some paparazzi shit. I I don't get it. So probably I would have yeah. just problems with that because uh, it's really hard to keep the privacy being that famous person. And uh, it always leads to some bad things, you know, and, you know, some people cannot deal with that, you know. Look at that. It's really hard to understand. Like, I, I never understood people who commit suicide being so famous, you know, and yeah, it's yeah. it's sad, you know. Yeah. I tell you, tell you the, the level of fame that scares the shit out of me for the people is the level of fame that someone like Britney Spears accomplishes because that's not fame anymore. That's something else entirely different. That's just you are part of the public sphere. You are no yeah, longer an individual, and look what happened to her. Like the forget about the music for a moment. Let's just talk about her. We've got kids, okay? Her fucking parents, mate, should be hung, drawn, and quartered for what she went through. There is no way I would expose my daughter to what she had to be exposed to at such a young age. I've spoken to people that were around her, you know, that interviewed her and stuff, and she was in Japan. Fiona Horn from Def FX was telling me that she was in Japan on just a bullshit schedule, like five in the morning through to midnight, that sort of thing, and she was so tired. And she's just a money. She's just a, a money magnet for business interests, and she's basically crazy at this point. You know, I understand she can't even make a decision for herself financially these days. But you know, I, I think Brittany, she's uh, one of those you know uh, victims uh, and uh, of business of music business. And uh, I absolutely hate that. I hate using kids, you know, for that because they yeah, lost, they they lost their childhood, they lost their youth totally, because they were just put in that situation that even the, the grown up man could not deal. And she's a girl, you know, she was a girl, and you know, and uh, she became just like that in a moment, you know, the one of the most famous person ever. That's right. You know, yeah. and how to deal with that after you're losing it. You know, this is you losing position, and you know, music business is like that. Mm. You can just be a queen, and a week after you got nothing. It's just, it's pathetic, and it's just one of the reasons why I love metal and I hate the, this pop business because it's like that. It's using people. As far as they bring money, they good, but if not, they nothing. You know, and that's that's absolutely something different than something I. You know, uh, I was teached uh, by my grandparents, you know, I rise, I rise up with. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, it's really hard to respect, you know, the other people. And if, if you see something like that, you know, because it's totally disrespectful, you know, and, mm. and I don't know, <laughs> it's just, I don't understand it, you know. Mm. So I'm so glad that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely you no. Know, this is, I think, one of the biggest success of Vader. As we we have so so great respect in the world for for the music we did. You know, for that many years. You know, that's 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 even harder. Hmm. And uh, but uh, I never felt that that I can't feel like privacy on be like 
like a normal guy, like among uh, the fans that you know they that made this happen, you know, for us mm. as a band. So, have, you, have you ever had a, a situation where you felt fans have been a bit too intrusive? You know what I mean, like when they won't let you get back on a tour bus and all that sort of stuff. I think I can deal with that. You know, it's if it's really come, it's really you know getting like. Uh, uh, bad, you know. I just walk away, you know, with, with a smile on my face. It just with I never really and I never really just showed the middle finger, you know, to the fans or just sometimes even I got the headache or bad day or whatever. I try just to uh, rather like to keep away than just to show that like I'm like I don't to behave like an asshole, you know. It's just yeah, you carry yourself well. I get it. The fans, the fans do not deserve it, you know. I am a fan too, and I know how how I would feel. If, if somebody would just like just show me a middle figure get the fuck off you know or something like that mm-hmm. I would never like that you know would be like feel respect to the you know personalities like I like I like so uh, I I just try to be the same I just try to like imagine the situation from the other side you know and mm-hmm. I know the fans you know they the fans actually the people that that support Vader and that buying the albums they come into the shows like they made it, you know, possible for us. You know, Vader would would never exist that long without, you know, fan support. You know, and that's easy to explain. Uh, so they deserve at least like a little bit of attention. You know, that's you know. I know, I know. Just the only problem is sometimes there is many of them, and I'm just one among. Yeah. So it's really physically to deal with that, but. Trust me, I'm trying, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to do the best. Oh, I know. I yeah, I know. People have met you here have described you as fantastic. You know, people have met you backstage and stuff. You've always had all the time in the world for, for fans who want to interact. And, oh, look, I've found that too. I caught up with the guys. You know, the, the real fans the real fans will always understand the situation, but sometimes there are people who can't. You know, I, I had a situation yeah. sometimes where I'm leaving the stage, like being just soaked with, you know, uh, just steel with stage uniforms, like, trying to take breath after some blast beats, you know, and, and somebody's asking just to sign an album. I'm trying to explain that. Just give me five, ten minutes. I'd be there, you know. And then after <laughs> I went back, I heard behind just fucking asshole rock star, you know, something like that. I, I don't like this, you know, because oh, it's yeah. like, I, I, I never act like that, but sometimes I need just like five, ten minutes to change. Like, don't want to just go to the crowd and smelly, you know, ah, you know. And uh, some people, but I, I wouldn't call that guy, you know, a fan. It's just like a fucking angry idiot, you know. Right? Yeah, totally. I know. But I'm just, just an example of how people can behave, you know. I had a, a very interesting, like it wasn't interesting, but I, I I love corrosion of conformity. So when the guys toured, and I'd spoken to the guys, and I, I was one of the few people that had spoken to Reed for an interview before he passed away. Rest in peace, good old Reed there. But when I spoke to the tour manager, John, great John here, he um, he lined up. He said, go and meet the guys afterwards if you want. I said, yeah, great. I'll definitely meet Pepper and, and the guys. Woody, I'm down for that. And um, anyway, I, I'm very respectful of the, the, the fact uh, that you've gone off stage. And... and- Andy, I'm sorry, but I absolutely forget about reality. So I, I got the next interview in 30 minutes, but I need a break. There you go. That's where it ended. Of course, we could have talked for a lot longer, but Pete had to go off to the next interview, and I really appreciate that he gave me so much of his time, proving once again that the legends, you know, they're legends. Simple as that. So my name's Andrew McKay-Smith. Of course, I host the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online. That was Peter Vibcherek from the Polish extreme metal legends, 
Vader. Thanks so much for listening.